Well, good. I'm starting a new series today, probably go three Sundays, maybe four, on biblical counseling, also known as how to change and how to help people change. I would call it how to change and how to help people change, but I'm calling it biblical counseling as well because I want to distinguish what the Bible has to say about helping people change with what the world has to say about helping people change. And so biblical counseling, also known as newthetic counseling, that's a a term coined by Jay Adams, which most of this, the systematic theology of all of this is compiled by him. And and so uh, that's what this class is going to be on. I want to give you a biblical worldview, and uh, um, more than you already have, and I want to convince you by the end of this class that if you know your Bible and you have wisdom from the Holy Spirit, and you have empathy and care in your heart that you are competent to counsel. And in fact, you can help people more than 99.9% of therapists and pop psychologists and psychiatrists out there because they do not have the fear of the Lord. And it is the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of knowledge. So if you don't even have the beginning of knowledge, you most certainly don't have the rest. Make sense? All right, so this class is going to be just a basic overview Really, I'm just going to kind of turn your head in a direction is really all this, this class is going to do. I'm not, we're not going to walk down that path, but we're just going to point you in the right direction. And hopefully some of you will pick up and, uh, and, and take this somewhere else. Um, one of the biggest needs in Acadiana right now is a biblical counseling center. Uh, it doesn't exist. And the, and the Christian counselors out there are, are uh, synthesizers. Do you know what that, you should know what that means. It means they blend what the Bible says with what the world says, and the two have no fellowship with one another, and so they're hurting people, um, by and large, and so it would be great if there was biblical counseling. Now, there is biblical counseling, of course, from people who know their Bibles and who help one another, but it would be great if one day someone had the calling to organize it and to um, institutionalize it so that more could be done. You know, it, whenever it's organic and individuals doing things, it's awesome, it's wonderful. But if, if you can build an institution, if you can organize and mobilize a bunch of people because you have an institution, an organization, then you can compound your, your efforts. And that's one of the things that churches and Christians should be doing. Um, <clears throat> It's like if you're a plumber, and you can make a lot of money plumbing, but if you build a plumbing business, you can multiply your efforts quite a bit. Hire others, you know, communicate, market, all of those different things. So it'd be great one day if there was a biblical counseling center in Acadiana, and maybe one of you will take up this calling. We'll see. So that's some of my goals um, for teaching this class. Um, And if any of you are concerned that you don't think that you have the ability to truly help another person, um, I'm hoping by the end of this class you, that those fears will be put aside, all right? Or at least you will <clears throat> know what you need to do to get there. <clears throat> um, a quick qualifier before we begin. This particular subject is right over the target. Um, do y'all know, if, I don't know if y'all know that expression. Um, in the war between Satan and Jesus... The war between the church and the apostate church, the war, biblical counseling, counseling is right on the target, right? When we, when we pro- proclaim biblical counseling, the enemy 
will lash out at you with everything that you ha- they have because it is, a, it is right over there, one of their um, weapons factories, right? All I, if I bring up Christian education, over the target. Biblical counseling, especially if I condemn the world's counseling, over the target. If I bring up uh, feminism or male headship, over the target. There are certain things that are like sensitive, they're, so, they're targets in the war. If I, if I talk about, uh, you know, the priesthood of Christ and the extent of, you know, his atonement, that's near the target, but it's not going to. But if I'm more specific and I say that Jesus died for the elect over the target because it, it harms people's autonomy. So anyway, this tar- topic is right over the target. So if you go out of here shouting it from the rooftops, cage stage, um, just beware, you're going to make a lot of enemies. So just count the cost before you do it. Um, I've, I've been there, done that. And um, so just so you know, it's good to know how many lions are in the den before you go inside of it, right? All right. <laughs> um, and you will be attacked mostly by Christians, just FYI, um, because we live in a syncretistic age. And, uh, and so just be warned about that. On a positive note, though, um, to grow in your ability to counsel hurting souls or families from the Bible and to grow in the fear of the Lord is an incredible gift to the church, right? And it, it meets an incredible need. So it's worth dealing with the lions. Amen? All right, so let's get into it. There's going to be three primary aspects of biblical counseling. And if, for those of you taking notes, you could write these down. It's concern, confrontation, and change. The three C's of biblical counseling, concern, confrontation, and change. If you have those three things, then you can help. First of all, it's concern. You have to have concern, right? You have to have love for another soul. You have to want to help them, not for the purpose of getting rich or having power over them so that you can dominate them. You have to have concern for them. That makes sense. But that's not enough. If all you have is concern, you cannot help. You cannot help them change. You also have to confront. There must be confrontation, correction, admonishment, warning, that's what the word "nutheo" in Greek, it can be translated counsel, advise, admonish, warn, instruct, correct, confront, with the truth, of course. If all you have is concern and no confrontation, you're not going to help. If all you have is confrontation and no concern, you're not going to help. But if you have confrontation and concern, you're on the right path. Make sense? You love the person, you see them, you, see them, you want them to change. And then you must confront them in order to see that change take place. Um, And the reason why you have to confront is because um, most issues in counseling involve sin. And so it doesn't mean that it's 100% sin. And and sometimes you have to counsel people because of other people's sins. And so you're not counseling them in how to deal with their own sin, but how to deal with other people's sins. And everyone knows that we sin when we deal with other people's sins, right? You can sin in the sin itself. You can also sin in the response to sin. And so counseling confronts with the truth of God's word so that they can overcome the sin that's in their heart or their responses to other people's sins, all right? 
Um, of course, this doesn't mean we don't believe that in, just so to prepare you for the attacks you're going to receive, if you talk about this, this doesn't mean we don't believe in mental illness or brain damage, right? <clears throat> this doesn't mean we don't believe in science. Oh, we just don't believe in scientists. Um, not the way that our world does. We don't worship at the altar of scientism, and we don't believe that someone in a white lab coat with a degree is infalli- an infallible priesthood. Right? We believe they're errant, and they have a worldview, and they have an anthropology and a theology, and they bring all of that stuff into what they're saying. Um, this doesn't mean we don't believe in science. There, without Christianity, there is no science. All right? <clears throat> but we are trying to look at what the Bible has to say about issues and respond biblically. Make sense? And then the third C is change, and then we're going to get in some text here. Change. If you have concern and you have confrontation then you can help someone change. Why do we believe that's true? Because God has promised sanctification. Amen? It's not suggested. Sanctification is promised, and God wants us to change. He wants us to change. He's promised that we can change. And so we believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, with repentance, with correction, that a person can truly change. Right? And that's what we want to help. Right? <clears throat> so an example. Let's just give it a little example. This is just an overview. But if you were counseling someone whose friend had died in a car wreck. Right? You're counseling them. Their friend died in a car wreck. Now, did they sin? No. You know. Their friend died in a car wreck. They didn't sin. Uh, Their friend, did their friend sin? No, it was an auto accident. But why are they coming to see you? Why do they want help? Why do they need to talk to someone? Just as as an idea, what do you think might be going on? They, yeah, they need to know how to deal with the the sadness of it. They're sad, all right? Now, does, does God have anything to say about sadness? Does the gospel affect sadness? Yeah, one of the promises of the gospel is that he will wipe away all of our tears. He is currently wiping away our tears, but they keep coming because we still live in a world of affliction. And one day he will ultimately wipe away all of our tears, right? There will be no tears in the New Jerusalem when it is fully consummated. But the Bible has a lot to say about sadness. Now, what does the world believe about sadness? It's different, isn't it? Right? Do they believe it's spiritual at all? Right. No. No, they don't. Right. They believe it's chemical, don't they? That's right. And their solutions are chemical. And uh, you can see how if someone's equipped with the Bible, they're going to deal with someone's sadness differently. Right. Now, what about if they're angry with God? A lot of times, sadness... When you, when you really dig into it, it's mixed with self-pity, isn't it? Because everything that we do is tainted with sin. You know, that's one of the most important doctrines of, of sin is that all that we do, think, and feel is tainted with sin. So very often, sadness and despair, especially when it's crushing, is almost always mixed with self-pity. Now, how do we deal with self-pity? Does the Bible have anything to say about self-pity? Yeah, there's entire books of the Bible written on this particular subject of sorrow and self-pity, right? The book of Job in particular. 
Bible has a lot to say about it. But what if it's mixed with the cousin of self-pity? Anger. Anger towards God. Perhaps anger towards the, the drunk driver who killed them. Does the Bible have anything to say about vengeance and wrath and anger? Does the truth of God's word with the Holy Spirit, uh, can it help a person like that to change, to overcome, to have victory over despair and wrath and vengeance? Right? If they don't have victory over despair and wrath and vengeance, is that going to be bad for their life and their relationships? Absolutely. So we want to be able to have concern for them, confront them so that they can be sanctified, a.k.a. change, with the Word of God. That's basically biblical counseling in a nutshell. All right? So, any questions before we get into a text? All right, well, let's jump into a text. Romans chapter 15, 13 through 14. <clears throat> this is um, sort of the main theme. This is a theme verse for biblical counseling. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may, and here's going to list some things, abound in hope. Right? To abound in hope means you take the promises of the Bible seriously. They're real to you. You've received them and you believe them. You really believe that they're going to come to pass. That's what it means to have hope in the Bible, to abound in hope. When we use hope in today's world, what does it mean? I hope the saints will win the Super Bowl. That means it's probably not going to happen, but it would be great, right? You know, I hope that's true. I, it's more like uh, wishful thinking. <laughs> but in the Bible, hope is a synonym for faith. Hope and faith are always in the objective promises of Scripture, which are revealed to us. So to have hope in the Bible means you have faith in the promises, and you really do believe that they will come true, right? Do you all abound in hope? Do you have that? Right? Do you believe that all the promises in Scripture are going to come true and are coming true? I bet you don't, but just let's just go with everybody thinks they do. All right, that's good. <laughs> um, he goes on, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, full of sincerity. That means you're a genuine Christian. Are you all genuine Christians? You're genuine Christians that really do believe, as far as you can tell, that the promises are true and they're coming true. And there's really a power that's going to make them come true. Okay, good, good. goes on, he says, filled with all knowledge. Are you filled with all knowledge? Which means you know your Bibles really well. I would say all of you know your Bibles pretty well, better than your, the average bear, right? Of course, we all have a lot to learn, right? Um, and able to... Instruct, that's that word, nutheo. Instruct, admonish, warn, teach, counsel, advise, correct, confront. That's the word. And you are able to instruct one another. All right, this does bring up a point. Biblical counseling is for Christians. Non-Christians can't change. You understand that, right? They cannot change. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. Dead men don't change. Right? They might take on different strategies of dealing with things, but they're not changing on the inside. So we cannot help someone who is unregenerate, who is not a genuine Christian. And our efforts will eventually um, fail, and they will eventually be exposed as a fake Christian and eventually fall away from the church. That happens, and that's obviously terrible. 
But if you have these things right here, if you abound in hope, that means you really do. You really do believe the promises of Scripture deep down. And that's a gift. Not everybody has it. And, and you believe some of them and you don't believe other of, other of them because faith is not, you know, everybody doesn't get the same amount, right? Some people, you have hope, but not everyone abounds in hope. But if you abound in hope, right, and you are a genuine Christian, full of goodness, full of sincerity, and you know your Bible really well, then you're able to counsel other Christians. Got it? That's the qualifications. That's what the, that's what the verse is saying there. And I really do believe that that is true if you meet those particular criteria. So this isn't for everyone. Not everyone should uh, think of themselves as the go-to for people with problems, right? What would be, what would be true, genuine Christians, but they shouldn't be counseling anyone because they lack... Give me some examples here. What, Jordan? <laughs> they lack wisdom from the Spirit. Yeah, that would be... Um, <laughs> He, he doesn't mention that here, but it is mentioned in Colossians and other places, and obviously the entire book of Proverbs. Uh, you need wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's fair. What else? Sure, but you don't, I mean, you don't need to be a professional or rhetorician to counsel someone. So you do need to be able to instruct. You need to have some ability to instruct. But if you're full of knowledge and goodness, and, uh, and you are, believe in the promises, you, ha- you have the uh, ability to instruct other Christians in a, in a general sense, yeah? I mean, there's one of these that really stands out to me. If, that, that would mean you're not a genuine Christian, yeah? Yeah, if you don't know your Bible, then shut up. Don't, tell, don't try to counsel people if you don't know your Bible, and, and really, some people know their Bibles really well, and some people don't. That is just an objective fact that I think a lot of Christians are not able to say or believe, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? No, I don't know many Christians at all who really do believe themselves to be expert engineers. All right, anybody here pretty, pretty solid with engineering? Anybody here would go into an engineer's office and, and sit down next to him and pretend to be an engineer, right? And someone comes to you, we need to build a bridge. I got this, you know. Let me share the specs on Facebook so I can help everyone build bridges. No one would do that, right? But with the Bible, everyone thinks they are Full of knowledge, they really do, and they're willing to teach everyone, instruct everyone. And I'm, a, I'm a, the Bible says not many of you should be teachers, right? Yeah, we're just watching on YouTube. Now, the risks are much higher. That's a good point. They don't, they don't, and that's because they don't know their Bibles well. <laughs> They also, you just don't, ignorance is one of those things you don't know what you don't know, you know? Um, but for whatever reason, everyone seems to feel like they've got religion and politics down pretty good. But, but I don't, why is that? I don't know. But it's definitely a sin. Um, and uh, so you just need to make sure that if, especially if they're needing help in an area that you know nothing about, that you don't know what the Bible says about it, that you don't just jump in there and start, you know, dogmatically pontificating, right? 
So, but, if, but what this does mean, the good news is that you can grow in your biblical knowledge and become more and more competent. You see what I mean? Because you can grow in biblical knowledge. That's, I think that's why. That's good news. That's good news. All right? <clears throat> so if you have those things, you're competent to counsel. If you don't, you need to work at it. You need to work at it and grow in it so that you can. Yes, Aaron. Uh, well, if you don't have the authority, you can, still, you can still instruct and correct them. Uh, you may not be able to back it up with church discipline, except that you could if you, you know, went through Matthew 18, if that was necessary. But if they're not in your church, or they're not in your family, or if, or if you're not a civil magistrate, then you don't have any ability to discipline. Um, but you can, even just, just speaking it is a form of discipline, though. So, is that what you meant? Oh, <laughs> wow, he just threw you under the bus, just like that. Um, you Obviously, wait, what? <laughs> That's right. If, uh, if you, um, for example, if you have a, your kids, you're going to do this all day long with your kids, right? You're going to have to counsel them with the Bible, and uh, you're going to have to have all of these. You're going to have to have concern, confrontation, so that you can help your kids change. That's parenting, isn't it? Um, and God gives you the rod, though, to enforce the law, which is another aspect of this. Um, so um, that's, that's a good point. Um, now, do professional therapists and pop psychologists and, and et cetera uh, do they have, do they abound in hope and are full of goodness, filled with all biblical knowledge? No, they have none of those things. None of those things. Right? And that doesn't mean they're wrong 100% of the time. It just means they're wrong most of the time. Right? There is common grace. I promise you, I could go into an engineering shop and we could, we could you know, design a bridge and I'd get some of it right. Like, I mean, I know it needs to go from this side to this side, you know. <laughs> the measurements would be off and the weight distribution would be off. But I'd, I could finish with something that you'd look at it and you'd say, that's a bridge, right? It just would, it would, the problem would be when things start to drive over it, right? <laughs> All right. And that's precisely what happens, I believe, in when Christians go to materialistic or atheistic or whatever-ism, whatever-istic uh, therapist that they go to. All right, let's move on and uh, let's begin the course. Um, the, the main thing that we're going to learn is how to change, okay? And today we're just going to be covering the first aspect and how to change. And it's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. So you got the overview and the introduction. Now how to change, real simple. And, and I've taught a whole sermon series on this, but I think I understand it better now than I did then, so... Um, you can go back and listen to it. it. You know, it was decent. I didn't come up with anything on my own. But I think I understand this much better and much more clearly now. So uh, hopefully this helps. Let's read this together. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. All right, so that's a big uh, counseling passage there. Notice the presupposition in the passage. You are a new creature. Amen. You're not the old you. You are a new creature. You are a Christian. Biblical counseling is for Christians. And uh, dead persons need to be regenerated through the preaching of the law and the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Um, But I will say, does that mean we don't counsel non-Christians? No, because in your counseling, you're evangelizing, right? Because you're using the Bible. But you just need to know inside, unless the Holy Spirit moves, then you're not going to be able to do too much, right? (laughs) So let's begin. Uh, The first thing that needs to happen when someone is going to change is that their mind has to be renewed, right? They have to be renewed, what does renewal of the mind mean? What does rene- to renew something mean? To re- restore it, rehabilitate it, rehab it. Right? If you've ever rehabbed a home, I think that's a good way of putting, putting it. Um, you have to renew the mind. Now, how do we have our mind renewed? Why, why do we have, or how do we have our mind renewed? Does anyone know how that works? Specifically? Yeah, through the word of God. That's right, through the word of God. So, but if we're trying to talk about someone changing their emotions and changing their actions, right, why would we start in the mind, the spirit of the mind? Why would we start there? The battle begins there. Like if you have a, a problem with pornography or if you have a problem with uh, gluttony or you have a problem with wrath or bitterness or disloyalty and someone wants to help you they have to go to your mind first they you have to have a change of mind what does repentance technically mean meta noeo it means to renew the mind Right? It means to, to ter- change your mind or to turn your mind. Now, repentance involves more than the mind, but that's sort of the, the essential element of it. And when we, when we think of mind, we think of brain, but it's really the core of who you are. But it is where your thoughts take place. All right? um, if you wanted to change a church, where would you start? Uh, well, not necessarily. <laughs> But the church would have to be renewed in the mind. If you want to change a marriage, there has to be renewal in the mind. If you want to change a school or a nation, it has to start in the mind, in the, in the thought life, right? In, those invi- in that invisible core of who you are. In other words, listen carefully to this. This is super important. Ideas have consequences. Ideas, isms manifest. You understand? 
If, if there is strife in your home, plates being shattered, vessels of wrath being hurled, all right, vulgarity, cursing, lack of forgiveness, it's because underneath all of that, there are false isms and lies and half-truths being believed underneath all of that, right? Now, <clears throat> if, uh, if you want to change a culture, just to kind of side note here, you have to change it with the ideas in the ideal world, in the ism world, all right? That's how it has to start. For example, a cremation is on the rise. They say 50% of deaths are end in cremation. 50% of people are cremated. It used to be, just a few years back, it was like 5%. Now it's 50%. Why do you think that is? All the way down at the bottom, why is that? They either don't believe in the resurrection, or they, don't, they also don't believe in the, the uh, sacred nature of the human body. Right? Uh, they also believe that it's practical. Pragmatic, pragmatism. What ism doesn't believe in the the uh, the sacredness of the human body? Gnosticism. What uh, worldview doesn't believe that there is a spirit world? Humanism, materialism. Which uh, what belief believes that the spiritual is important, but not the the material, not the ritual, not the earthy and the and the dirty, but only that which is spiritual and ethereal? What isms is that? Gnosticism, dualism, Platonism, all of that is in our culture, and it's in the church. This is why I could talk about this in many churches, and no one, everyone would be like, what's the problem? Christians have been burying with sacred church services, basically, uh, funerals, for thousands of years. And now Christians are like, why does it matter? And, they start to, and their, their customs change, their habits change. And that's because their ideas are changing, because they have ideas which come from the world. If you want to change the cremation statistics, you would have to change the isms. You have to change the ideas, okay? What is underneath all the breakup of marriages all over our country? Isms. Let's name a few. Feminism. Communism. Egalitarianism, Marxism, right? That's the biggies. There's probably more. <laughs> uh, materialism, right? The kind about money, right? That would be another one. You have to change the isms if you want to change the marriage statistics. If you want to change how a church worships, you have to change their isms. Why is it that some churches raise hands and other churches don't raise hands? Because they're isms, they're ideas, right? Why do you raise hands or not raise hands? It's your ideas. Why do, some, why do when we ordain people, do we lay hands on them and others don't lay hands? Why do we have a big piece of bread versus a COVID cracker? Ideas, it's all ideas. It's all ideas. Ideas and, um, form a, the world. In other words, cult brings culture. Now, the word cult doesn't mean cult like it does today. Cult means religion, but cult makes culture. As your culture is, so goes your cult. So underneath culture, 
Y'all know what I mean by culture? Is a tomato culture? No. Is tomato sauce culture? Yes. Okay, good. Is spaghetti culture? Yes. Salsa culture? Tomato not culture. Okay, good. Is a rock culture? No. Rock garden? Yes. Road? Yes. All right. We take the things that we have, both in the physical and in the idea realm, the ideas that we have, and we make culture out of them. Whatever your culture is, it comes from your cult. It comes from your ideas. The consequences come from the ideas. Politics, your political system, and the way you participate in politics comes out of your culture, which comes out of your religion, out of your ideas. Now, how do we have ideas? When, we just, when what we were just doing, trying to communicate ideas, what were we actually sharing? And thinking. Words. Words. I, I communicate ideas with words. And you think ideas in your mind with words. Okay? If I wanted to change your ideas, I would have to do what? I would have to tell you words that do battle with those ideas. I would have to use the two-edged sword of the Word of God to defeat the lies and the falsehoods that are taking you captive and leading to the bad behaviors, okay? I would have to, as uh, Paul says, take every thought captive. That's warfare language. I would have to tear down strongholds, arguments, and anything, any understanding that exalts itself above Jesus I would have to, in the counseling room or in the meeting, I would have to use the Word of God to fight those ideas in your mind. That's where it starts. Now, if you receive the Word of God willingly, what's that called? Faith, which is a gift from God. And it, it is the, the channel, so to speak, through which God gives you sanctifying grace. As his word goes into your heart, soul, mind, and it changes your false ideas and the lies, it releases the power of God in your life to change on, in every area of life. Okay, does everyone see that? All right, now underneath words, what is there? Politics, or let's, let's take it away from the national and make it more... Uh, family, your, your household and how it operates, comes out of your culture. You learn it from your parents, your friends. That comes out of the religion of your culture, which comes out of the ideas, right? The isms, which comes from words. But where do the words come from? God, the God of the culture, the God of the system, God. And there's two options in this world. There's God, and does he speak? Does he use words? And do his words change? Yes, wherever they are received in faith, they change. Is there another God that is doing battle with the God? The devil, little g God, obviously. And what does the devil do? He's an angel. He's an angel. What, are, what does angel literally mean? Messenger. He, he gives messages. So you have the messages of the devil, and you have the word of God. And the cultures of this world, and everything out of them, from tomato sauce to political systems, comes from one of those two words. 
and there is no fellowship between them. What fellowship does light have with darkness or truth with lies? And every sin, every systemic sin or individual sin, it's all flowing from that war. It's coming from that war, and that war is going on inside of you. It's going on inside of you between what Paul calls the old man and the new man, right? And the problems you have, whether it be um, an inordinate despair, a sinful despair, a self-pity, a wrath, vengeance, greed, a shopping problem, whatever it is, is because your mind has not been renewed in that particular space, right? And it can be. So that's where it starts. It starts with the renewal of the mind, right? Um, <clears throat> any other questions, any thoughts on that? Is that just a duh, obviously? Do you understand that? Well, you, said, you said his words change, but you mean produce change. The yeah, words yeah. Words actually do change. No, uh, yeah. When yeah, lies, lies are dynamic. Lies, you know, you can lie in different ways. Yeah, he, his, words, his word is, uh, is eternal. Yeah, no. They change as in a transitive action verb. Other things. That's right. Any other thoughts? Have you, ever, have you considered that? The problems in your marriage, the problems in your life, that there's something that needs to be dealt with. You need, you need the word of God to renew your mind if you're ever going to see any change. Right? Now, where do you receive the word of God? Through the preaching of the word of God, sure. Any, anywhere else? The reading of the word of God, right? Listening and hearing the word of God. You could, you could see that if you are sitting under the, uh, the preaching of the word of God for an extended period of time, systematically, habitually, that what is it going to, by necessity, do? It's going to change your life. And all the culture-making that you do, where whatever culture-making God has called you to, it's going to change that as well. And if you don't sit under the words, then you will not change. You won't, right? And, and you, can, you, can, uh, you can see that, that happening in different people's lives in different ways to different degrees over a course of time. You can see they have been changed by the word. And then others, you can see, they have not been changed by the word. And, and that's, that's how it goes, right? So <clears throat> that's basically the point of today's class. When you have someone that you care about, you have concern, and you are willing to confront them with the word of God, which you might lose them. You've got to pay a price to, to confront someone. And you... Uh, <clears throat> And you do that with them perhaps over an extended period of time or maybe even just one time, um, you can see real change in their life by the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, y'all have a great Lord's Day.